Chapter eighty seven of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lafano. Chapter eighty seven. In which two comrades are tete a tete in their old quarters, and Dr. Stirk's cue is cut off and a consultation commences the buzz of a village like the hum of a city represents a very wonderful variety of human accent and feeling it is marvellous how few families thrown together will suffice to furnish forth this dubia chena of sweets and bitters the roar of many waters the eulolatus of many-voiced humanity marvellously monotonous considering the infinite variety of its ingredients booms on through the dark the story-teller alone can take up the score of the mighty medley and read at a glance what every fife and fiddlestick is doing that pompous thrum thrum is the talk of the great white marseilles paunch pietate gravis the wine comes from lazarus at the area rails and the bass is old dives roaring at his butler the piccolo is contributed by the studious schoolboy whistling over his latin grammar that wild long note is poor mrs fondle's farewell of her dead boy the ugly baritone rising from the tap-room is what wandering willie calls a skullduggery song shut your ears and pass on and that clear soprano in nursery rings out a shower of innocent idiotisms over the half-stripped baby and suspends the ball upon its lips so on this night as usual there rose up toward the stars a throbbing murmur from our village a wild chaos of sound which we must strive to analyze extracting from the hurly-burly each separate tune it may concern us to hear captain devereux was in his lodging he was comparatively tranquil now but a savage and impious despair possessed him serene outwardly he would not let the vulgar see his scars and sores and was one of those proud spirits who build to themselves desolate places little puttick was the man with whom he had least reserve puttick was so kindly and so true and secret and cherished beside so great an admiration for him that he greeted him rather kindly at a moment when another visitor would have fared scurvily enough puttick was painfully struck with his pallor his wild and haggard eye and something stern and brooding in his handsome face which was altogether new and shocking to him i've been thinking puttick he said and thought with me has grown strangely like despair and that's all why man think what is there for me all my best stakes i've lost already and i'm fast losing myself how different sir is my fate from others worse men than i every way incomparably worse and damn them they prosper while i go down the tide tisn't just and he swore a great oath tis enough to make a man blaspheme i've done with life i hate it i'll volunteer tis my first thought in the morning 
and my last at night how well i'd like a bullet through my brain or heart damn the world damn feeling damn memory i'm not a man that can always be putting prudential restraints upon myself i've none of those plotting ways the cursed fools that spoiled me in my childhood and forsake me now have all to answer for i charged them with my ruin and he launched a curse at them meaning his aunt which startled the plump soul of honest little puddock you must not talk that way Devereux," he said still a good deal more dismayed by his looks than his words why are you so troubled with vapours and blue devils no why said Devereux with a grim smile my dear Devereux, i say you mustn't talk in that way you-you talk like a ruined man and i so comfortable why to be sure dick you have had some little rubs and maybe your follies and your vexations but hang it you are young you can't get experience at least so i found it without paying for it you mayn't like it just now but it's well worth the cost your worries and miscarriages dear richard will make you steady steady echoed Devereux, like a man thinking of something far away eh dick you've sown your wild oats on a sudden says the captain my dear little puddock and he took him by the hand with a sort of sarcastic flicker of a smile and looked in his face almost contemptuously but his eyes and his voice softened before the unconscious bonhomie of the true little gentleman puddock puddock did it never strike you my boy that hamlet never strives to speak a word of comfort to the forlorn old dane he felt it would not do every man that's worth a button knows his own case best and i know the secrets of my own prison-house sown my wild oats to be sure i have puddock my boy and the new leaf i've turned over is just this i've begun to reap them and they'll grow my boy and grow as long as grass grows and macbeth has his dagger you know and i've my sickle the handle towards my hand that you can't see and in the sweat of my brow i must cut down and garner my sheaves and as i sowed so must i reap and grind and bake the black and bitter grist of my curse don't talk nonsense little puttock wasn't it gay that wrote the beggar's opera eh why don't you play macheath gay eh a pleasant fellow and his poems too he writes don't you remember he writes so comes a reckoning when the banquet's o'er the dreadful reckoning and men smile no more puttock throw up that window the room's too hot or stay never mind read a book puttock you like it and i'll stroll a little along the path and find you when i come back why it's dark remonstrated his visitor dark i dare say yes of course very dark but cool the air is cool he talked like a man who was thinking of something else and puttock thought how strangely handsome he looked with that pale dash of horror like king saul 
when the evil spirit was upon him and there was a terrible misgiving in his mind the lines of the old ballad that Devereux used to sing with a sort of pathetic comicality were humming in his ear he walked by the river the river so clear the river that runs through kilkenny his name was captain wade and he died for that fair maid and so following what could he mean by walking at that hour alone by the river's bank puddick with a sinking and flutter at his heart unperceived followed him downstairs and was beside him in the street the path by the river said puddock the river the path yes sir the path by the river i thought i left you upstairs said devereux with an odd sort of sulky shrinking why devereux i may as well walk with you if you don't object lisped puddock but i do object sir cried devereux suddenly in a fierce high key turning upon his little comrade what do you mean sir you think i mean to to drown myself ha 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 or what the devil's running in your head i'm not a madman sir nor are you a mad doctor go home sir or go to to where you will sir only go your own way and leave me mine ah devereux you're very quick with me said puddock placing his plump little hand on devereux's arm and looking very gently and gravely in his face devereux laid his hand upon puddock's collar with an agitated sort of sneer but he recollected himself and that diabolical gloom faded from his face and he looked more like himself and slid his cold hand silently into little puddock's and so they stood for a while by the doorstep to the admiration of mrs irons whom devereux's high tones had called to her window puddock i don't think i'm well and i don't know quite what i've been saying i ask your pardon you've always been very good to me puddock i believe i believe you're the only friend i have and puddock you won't leave me so upstairs they went together and mrs irons from what she had overheard considered herself justified in saying that captain devereux was for drowning himself in the liffey and would have done so only for lieutenant puddock and so the report was set a-going round the garrulous town of chapel Izzard. as mr dangerfield glided rapidly along the silent road toward the brass castle the little gate of his now leafless flower-garden being already in sight he saw a dark figure awaiting him under the bushes which overhung it it was mr irons who came forward without speaking and lifted his hat respectfully perhaps abjectly and paused for recognition hey irons said mr dangerfield at your service sir well and what says his worship asked the gentleman playfully i wanted to tell your honour that it won't make no odds and i'll do it of course you're right it does make no odds he'll hang whatever you do and i tell you tis well he should and only right you should speak the truth too twill make assurance doubly sure 
at eight o'clock in the morning sir i'll attend you said irons with a sort of shiver good and i'll jot down your evidence and we'll drive over to mr lowe's to lucan and you shall swear before him and you understand i don't forget what i promised you'll be a happier man every way for having done your duty and here's a half a crown to spend in the salmon house irons only moaned and then said that's all sir but i couldn't feel easy till it was off my mind at eight o'clock i shall expect you good-night irons and with his hands in his pockets he watched irons off the ground his visage darkened as for a while his steady gaze was turned toward dublin he was not quite so comfortable as he might have been meanwhile black dillon at mrs Sturk's request had stalked upstairs to the patient's bedside had not i best sent at once for mr dangerfield she inquired no occasion ma'am replied the eminent but slightly fuddled sawbones spitting beside him on the floor until i see whether i'll operate to-night what's in that jug ma'am chicken broth that'll do give him a spoonful see he swallows free enough and then black dillon plucked up his eyelids with a roughness that terrified the reverential and loving mrs Sturk, and examined the distorted pupils you see the cast in that eye mum that's the pressure on the brain dillon was lecturing her upon the case as he proceeded from habit just as he did the students in the hospital no convulsions mum oh no sir thank heaven nothing in the least only quiet sleep sir just like that sleep indeed that's no sleep mum boo-hoo i could bawl that way in his face mum without disturbing him mum if it was now we'll get him up a bit there that's right easy he was lying mum i understand on his back when they found him in the park mum so mr dangerfield says eh well slip the cap off backward backward you fool that'll do who plastered his head mum dr tool sir tool tool hmm i see hey hi tut tis the devil's pair of sutures mum see nearer you see there's two converging lines do you see mum and he indicated their directions with the silver handle of an instrument he held in his hand and serrated at the edges i'll be bound and he plucked off two or three strips of plaster with a quick whisk which made poor little mrs Sturk wince and cry oh dear sir trepan indeed murmured black dillon with a coarse sneer did they run the scalpel anywhere over the occiput mum ay ay truly sir i'm not sure answered mrs Sturk, who did not perfectly understand a word he said the doctor's hair has not been cut behind or mrs Sturk, expecting his recovery every day would not have permitted the sacrilege and his dishevelled queue lay upon his shoulders with his straight surgical scissors black dillon snipped off this sacred appendage before the good lady knew what he was about 
and cropped the back of his head down to the closest stubble will you send if you please mum for doctor doctor thingamy dr tool inquired mrs turk dr tool mum yes answered the surgeon he himself went down to the coach at the hall door and in a few minutes returned with a case and something in a cloth from the cloth he took an apparatus like the cushioned back of a chair with straps and buckles attached to it and a sort of socket the back of which was open being intended to receive the head in now mum we'll prop him up comfortable with this if you please and having got it into place and lowered by a screw the cushions intended to receive his head and got the lethargic trunk and skull of the artillery doctor well placed for his purpose he took out a roll of sticking plaster and a great piece of lint and laid them on the table and unlocked his box which was a large one and took out several instruments silver mounted straight and crooked with awful adaptations to unknown butcheries and tortures and then came out another the veritable trepan resembling the homely bit and brace but slender sinister and quaint with a murderous sort of elegance you may as well order in a half dozen clean towels if you please mum oh doctor you're not going to have an operation to-night gasped mrs stirk her face quite white and damp and her clasped hands trembling twenty to one mum he replied with a slight hiccup we'll have nothing of the kind but have them here mum and some warm water for fear of accidents though maybe tis only for a drop of punch we'll be wanting it and his huge thirsty mouth grinned facetiously and just then dr toole entered the room he was confoundedly surprised when he found black dillon there though bent on meeting him with hauteur and proper reserve on account of his damnable character he was yet cowed by his superior knowledge so that tom tool's address was strangely checkered with pomposity and alarm dillon's credentials there was indeed no disputing so they sent for more the barber and while he was coming they put the women out of the room and sat in consultation End of chapter 87 Recording by John Brandon